and welcome to another episode of the Compile Spoof Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Whittem. In this podcast, we talk about everything related to Apple platforms and Apple development, including macOS, iOS, iPadOS, watchOS, tvOS, and any other OS they've invented this week. So with that, let's get on with the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Compile Podcast. In this one, I'm going to talk about a few different things, and we're trying something a little different. So... I'm going to be showing in a video here, you, I'll put a link to the video version on YouTube where you can see the articles that I'm talking about and the, and the material that I reference. But I'll do my best to obviously keep everything in the audio version as well. So first up this week, uh, there's been a couple of articles, but I was particularly interested in this one on 9to5Mac regarding the latest rumors of, about Apple's mixed reality headset. Uh, the rumors are that it's going to have two 8K displays and cost about $3,000. Now, I've, I've seen on some of the other sites where, you know, they speculated less than a thousand, something like that. Let's be honest, folks, Apple doesn't do anything cheap. There is no way they're gonna do some kind of virtual reality or augmented reality headset for less than a thousand dollars. That is just not gonna happen. Be fantastic, but that is not the way Apple does things. So I think we're looking at probably at least a couple of thousand dollars. But it's going to be very interesting. I think what's interesting about this article as well, as they point out, you know, Apple spends a lot of time studying what other companies do, the things they get right, the things they get wrong, and, you know, certainly taking some of those ideas. But they're not always the first to market. And that's why I think anytime Apple does something like this, where they jump into a new technology, a new area for them, uh, especially in the consumer market, it's always worth paying attention, right? Because... I got a feeling that when this headset appears, unless they abandon it, it's going to be very special. And I think it'll set the benchmark for other companies going forward in the future. Now, you know, as mentioned here, the Apple glasses is frankly something that interests me more. But there's a lot of complications with that because you have things like, you know, um, prescription lenses for those that wear glasses like myself or, you know, uh, for those that have contact lenses, maybe things like that. So there's a lot of more technical hurdles to overcome. But I think that this, you know, seeing this headset is when it finally comes to market, you know, and there's rumors on that as well about maybe this year or more than likely early next year, it's going to be very interesting. So, you know, that's the first article there. I'll put the link in the show notes, like I say. Uh, Moving on from there, you know, Homebrew reached uh, version 3.0.0 this week. And if you're a homebrew user, and I think, to be fair, a lot of us Mac developers in particular are, right? Uh, the, the the important thing here is the Apple Silicon, the M1 chip, right? The current Apple Silicon chip is now officially supported uh, in the installations. You don't have to do any of those workarounds that you've had to do up until now to to get it working. So that's fantastic news for all of my friends out there that have the M1 chip. I don't have one yet, still resisting, but um, at least it's going to solve some of the problems with getting homebrew working. Lots of other things in there as well in these changes, but let's be honest, that's really the biggest thing right there, right? The Apple official support for the M1 chip. And I just want to give a shout out to the, the homebrew team because, you know, they do such a fantastic job. They really do. And, you know, I think certainly speaking for myself and a lot of developers that I know, Homebrew makes setting up our development environments and maintaining them so much easier. So thank you to the Homebrew team for that. Uh, Again, I'll put a link in the show notes. Moving on, uh, I found this 
interesting article here, the uh, XC test tips and tricks um, by, I'm, I'm hoping, Joe, I hope I'm going to pronounce your name right. I apologize if I don't. Joe Mazzalotti. And there's some fantastic tips and tricks in here for your XC testing, right? He talks about things like XCT unwrap, um, just going down the list quickly, you know, using continue after failure to setting it to false, some KVO stuff and that. There, th These tips are uh, just really super helpful if you're into the testing. And, you know, again, we should all be doing lots of testing, right? So um, lots of useful tips there. I'll put a link in the show notes. Joe, thank you for putting that article together. It's fantastic. Uh, moving on again, Paul Hudson uh, has, you know, Hacking with Swift. He's got a new one for what's new in Swift 5.4. Um, you know, of course, Swift 5.4 is now shipping with the Xcode 12.5 beta, which I'll get to in a minute. So it's about time to start paying to attention to some of the changes in there. And as always, you know, Paul is always on top of this, right? The, um, there's some great examples of some of the changes, some of the things to look forward to, some of the things to start maybe trying out. If you're using Xcode 12.5 or you've installed downloadable version of Swift 5.4, um, you know, lots to go through in there. So that, that's another great read. That is, that is a must read, I think, there for that. So thank you to Paul for that one. Xcode 12.5 beta was released this week. Now, um, you know, as usual, there's lots of changes, right? Um, you know, lots of things under the hood, but clearly, of course, the important part here is it does support the SDKs for iOS 14.5, uh, iPad 14.5, tvOS 14.5, Watch OS 7.4, and Mac OS Big Sur 11.3. Um, you know, as always, I recommend you don't use this for production, obviously, but you can certainly sideload this onto your machine with the release version of Xcode and try it out. There is a lot of uh, changes in here. You know, um, I'll put a link to the show notes, uh, to the release notes in the show notes so that you can read through them all. Um, I always like to pull it down and start trying with it. I'll be honest, the current version of Xcode has given me more than a few nightmares. So I'm actually kind of eager to try this one out and see if it solves some of those for myself. You can, of course, get this download from the developer portal on the Apple website. A couple of other things I want to point out here as well. Um, this is a framework. Uh, well, no, I guess it's a framework as good as anything, right? But this is a Swift package that I like to use. It's called Skeleton View. And this one on GitHub here is what it does. I'll just scroll down here and, and you'll get the idea very quickly, right? So you're loading content, but it's not ready to display yet. But you want to show the users, hey, there's going to be some content here at some point. Please be patient. And so this skeleton view allows you to put in, if you're watching the video, you can see some screenshots of, of some different examples here, but I really like the gradient animated. It puts in these gray boxes that are sort of animated to both indicate that some content's gonna appear here shortly and that it's currently still doing something and trying to load the content. So that is skeleton view. Um, I'll put a, again, a link in the show notes on this. It's on GitHub. If you was to search for skeleton view on GitHub, GitHub I'm sure it would come up. Um, it's a very useful library. Um, you know, Juan's doing a great job with that. A little uh, promo here for one of my own videos. I have this video here for something that a lot of people don't think about. The mini map that you see in Xcode for sort of navigating around the storyboards and, and you know, basically the preview screen, um, you know, the preview layouts that you get in Xcode. You can actually move that mini map 
to a location of your choice. So um, I just put together, a, you know, a little while ago about this back in November, but people still ask me about it. So I point them to this video that you can actually move that map out the way to somewhere else if it's obscuring some content you need to see or you just want it somewhere else. So I'll put a link in the show notes for that video. It's only a couple of minutes long. Uh, you'll get the idea very quickly. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll talk about our next topic. Time for a break. Break time over. All right. So now I want to talk about something that I've been working on this week that I, I hope is going to help some of you out there. It was a little frustrating to figure out, but I got there in the end. So the idea here is that I wanted to create an application for myself that enables me to build the front matter uh, markdown for my blog posts on my blog, like compileswift.com. Now, what that means is the front matter is basically a block of metadata that goes in a markdown file that tells my static site builder, hey, you know, this is the title for the site. This is the URL for it. Uh, here's a featured image and a quick description, that kind of thing, right? I think you get the idea. It's kind of a metadata stuff there. So, you know, in line with a blog post maker that I had made for myself, an application for that, I wanted to sort of move beyond that and have this front matter maker that might be helpful for other people in the end. So, you know, as always, I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and use Swift UI for this, and I want it to be cross-platform. So, you know, use Swift UI is the perfect answer for that. And I started work on it. Very quickly, I hit a problem. The problem was that, you know, this data is not going to be known until runtime, and I want to be able to manipulate that data. Now, of course, you know, at first you think to yourself, well, that's fine. I can make everything bindable and it'll work. But it won't, because the problem is, that as it's laying out the UI, I have yet to discover a way to dynamically make things bindable and create those bindings at, at runtime. So the solution that I came up with, and again, if you're watching the video here, you'll see a video for this, but the solution that I came up with is that basically this front matter, each item in the front matter, each piece of data is essentially a key value pair. So what I did was I made myself a dictionary with the key values, right? So I've got a key and then, you know, the value portion, but I want to show them both on the screen. So what I've done in the end, after lots of trial and error, I resulted with, I, I came down with the result of basically creating a list. And so um, in the code, what I've got here is I create a list. And then in that list, I'm using a Swift UI for each loop which is different, by the way, than a, a normal, you know, for each loop uh, in Swift. And you have to be very careful about that. You can't just put in a whole bunch of Swift in the middle of a Swift UI view and expect it to work. And that's part of the problem, right? You, you have to do it the way that Swift UI wants it to be, because essentially it's rendering this screen and it's done, right? So I use this for each loop, and basically I'm going through each element in the dictionary, each row in the dictionary, if you like. And then in the for each loop, I'm basically going through and saying, okay, make a text field. And then in that text field, you know, put the key and then I've got a spacer um, so that it's kind of reads left to right. On the right-hand side of the screen, I've got the value and it'll go through and basically build out that screen for me. This also solves the problem for me with updating that data. So when I want to add a new row, it's just going to work because what's going to happen is it's going to update my data source, which I've put in state. And then once that data source of, of course is updated, um, it's going to re-render the view and add that row for me. 
So now I can add and remove items from that dictionary, and then I can use the dictionary as my data source for also exporting, because at the end of the day, I want to take everything that I've built here and export it in a markdown file or to the cop or copy it to the clipboard. And that's going to give me, you know, the, the correctly laid out file for what I need. And I say that because there's a particular format that you have to have this markdown in so that a, a parser in a static site, you know, a generator can go through and read it. Basically, what you have is a lot of dashes at the top and the bottom of this section to indicate, hey, this is the front matter section of the file. Hopefully that makes sense. So that was how I solved it. But I had to go through a lot of sort of pain and heartache and learning experience, which is always good, right? I mean, if everything was easy, then we'd all be doing it. So, you know, you got to work for it. But at the end of it, because of that pain, you walk away with a lot better knowledge to go forward and how to do other things. And, and the key here really was switching over to a list as opposed to trying to do a for each loop to render out a whole bunch of different elements, controls to the screen. Originally, I was trying to use text fields and you would just edit it. That wasn't working. So um, anyway, like I say, hopefully that's going to help someone out there. Just remember that SwiftUI can probably do what you want, but you're probably trying to do it in a way that you're used to with Swift and you kind of have to adapt your thinking. I'll put a link like I say, in the show notes for the video where you can actually see all the code for this um, and that. But that pretty much wraps it up for this week. So let me know what you think about this new format. My passion is still the the audio version of the Compile Swift podcast, but there are some times, some episodes, I think, or maybe going forward, I do both, where it's really beneficial because of the this being a technical subject that it helps you all to to see a video representation of this as well and see the pages and screens and everything else that I'm talking about. Let me know in the in the comments whether you think that this is a format you'd like to see going forward. Uh, you can put a comment on the YouTube video or you can go to compileswift.com forward slash contact and let me know there. Or, you know, again, please feel free to, you know, rate and review this podcast as well in your podcast player of choice. With that, that's it for this week. You can reach me on Twitter at CompileSwift. You can go to CompileSwift.com and reach me there as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts, um, you know, on how you solve some of these Swift UI problems, what you think about the Apple headset and all those kind of things. Take care. I'll speak to you next time.